0: Church, we're in for a treat this morning. Come on now. So we have today, uh, I've been, you know, I've been announcing it for a couple of weeks now. It's a blessing. Uh, We have Pastor Glenn Boter with us this morning. Uh, Listen, but before, before he comes, just by way of introduction, uh, uh, it's, it's, it's a privilege. It's a privilege to have him here. He's brought his lovely wife, Sister Kemi, with him as well. It's a privilege. Uh, you know, just to, just to say a few things, you know, he's been saved for 32 years. Uh, you know, uh, married for 33 years. Amen. And like I said to you, so he is the leader of our Nigerian fellowship there. He was sent out in 1996. He spent 27 years there laboring for God. And out of that wonderful church, 24 churches have been sent out from that church. Amen. Uh, It's such a blessing to be able to see them here. Um, I think I I was there in 2011, I think it was. Uh, I went over there with Pastor Chizoa. Fantastic work of God that's moving there in Ikeja, Uh, Lagos. It's such a a wonderful place. I know there's a few people around from the, from the area here. Raise the noise, you're from a ketchup in this place? Okay. <laughs> you're right at home, Pastor. Come on now. <laughs> home away from home. It's a blessing. Uh, you know, I, I look up to them. I mean, uh, you know, two grown children now. His son is a pilot. Amen. <laughs> his, <laughs> his daughter's getting married next month. Amen. Um, and the funny thing is, with all that long CV, they still look like they're 25 years old. I don't know how they do it, but such a blessing. Listen, uh, with the busy schedule that they have, uh, uh, you know, it's such a privilege to be able to come by here and minister. So church, let's give a fantastic, massive whole welcome as he comes to minister. Come on now.
1: Bless the Lord. Hallelujah. Well, 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 here we go. Listen, I am an old man. I really do feel it now. I just come into the UK, arriving on... uh, When did I arrive? You see, I'm old now. I can't even remember. Um, I think I did arrive on um, Thursday. I had my daughter's graduation. She was doing her master's uh, yesterday. And so... um, ...and then attending the pastor seminar this week. Indeed, it's my privilege to be amongst you here. I have preached here a few times, but I kind of feel connected this time, even before preaching. Watching the way you worship the Lord in a vibrant manner. I see a lot of um, young people here. I know the university here is now packed with Nigerians... And if you're in university doing your master's and you're Nigerian, why don't you just leap on your feet? Let me see who you are. Uh, uh, wait, wait, wait up. Wait, ha, 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 ha. Lord have mercy. Uh, listen, I'm going to take you all back home to Nigeria. So that where I am, you could be also. Efeta! I don't know what that means. <laughs> what does it really mean though? I've got to be in the concert last night, right? Sorry? March? March seven thirty. Alright, you tell me I, I didn't go to theological school there. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. Let's worship the Lord together. Let's listen to what God has to say. And um, if you permit me to ask you to turn your Bibles to the book of John chapter 8. I love being in Nigeria. I uh, have been there indeed going 27 years and uh, I can't trade it for anywhere else. Perhaps because I've got the privilege of extensive travel, but um, I love it there. My wife loves it too. I turned 60 last month. Uh, uh, and so, um, I'm an old man. My bones are speaking to me. But Jesus wants to speak to us. In 1978, a man by the name of Lawrence McKinney was jailed for 31 years for a crime that he did not commit. Because back then, in 1977, a woman accused him of being one of the two men who had ripped her in her apartment. He was convicted in 1978 and sentenced to 115 years in prison. He was only 22 years old. He spent 31 years, 9 months, 18 days, and 12 hours as a condemned person. However, in 2017, a new judge reviewed the case and the parole board was Uh, established who exonerated him of all charges and awarded this man one million dollars in compensation. How many of you like to go to jail for a million dollars? Come on. It's a lot of money. Let's exchange it to Naira. Nine hundred and who knows what million to me. John chapter 18 if you'll turn there with me. Let us read together. He says but Jesus went... To the Mount of Olives, at dawn he appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in that very act of adultery, and in the law of Moses that he commanded us that we should stone such a woman. What do you say? they were using the question to trap him in order to have him based on a, 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 have a basis for accusing him but jesus bent down and he started to write on the ground with his finger when he kept up then they kept questioning him then he straightened up himself and said to them let anyone who has who is without sin be the first one to throw stone at her again he stooped down and wrote on the ground uh, and this, those who gathered around began to go away one at a time, the older one first, until Jesus saw there was no one left with the woman standing there. Jesus straightened up himself and asked the woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said, then neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared, go now and live your life free of sin. Let's pray together this morning, Father. We come by the blood of Your Son Jesus, Lord. Uh, in as much as we are excited to be in Your presence, we need to be corrected by Your Word. We need Your Word to penetrate into our very core, into our soul, to help us, heal us, uh, redeem us. Even today, Lord, we ask You, Lord, that You'll anoint the Word in Jesus' mighty name. We we'll pray. And all God's people say, Amen. "Amen." I want to minister a sermon I've entitled "From Waste." To worship. And the first thing I'd like to consider with you. Is the aim of the accusers. Uh, You know we all have accusers. No form of accusation can be welcomed. Generally speaking accusation stems out of a life that is bitter. A life that is full of envy and rebellious. A life that is full of anger. Filled with unfairness. A life that is centered around self-righteousness. We are told in the scripture that the accuser of the brethren is Lucifer. How many of you can testify to that? Revelations chapter 12 in verse 10 says, Then I heard a loud voice in heaven. Now have come the salvation and the power of the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah for the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accused them before our God Day and night had been hurled down. So we understand some truth here that the main accuser is Lucifer. It would have been great this morning if what Lucifer accuses us of is a lie. There are things that Lucifer would accuse us of that is perfectly true. He would say things like, you know, before God, he doesn't pray. Do you pray? He doesn't fellowship. Do you fellowship? He doesn't respond to authority. Do you respond to authority? Some of the accusations from hell is actually true. See, standing before you is a man that has been accused of many things many times. Listen to what it says in Job chapter 1 verse 9. Does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied, have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything that he has? You have blessed the works of his hand so that his flock and herd will spread throughout the land. But now stretch out your hand and strike everything that he has and he will surely curse you to your face. So here we see Lucifer, you know, uh, he accuses Job. You know, one of the things I tell my church is, I am not as spiritual as I look or as you think. And I pray sometimes when I'm on my own, I pray, God, please don't recommend me to Lucifer. Don't even try and say, have you considered Glenn my son? You know, I'm not sure. I would not curse. He accuses Job's motive of being faithful to God because he had been favored by God. See, whenever the devil brings an accusation, he attaches what is called condemnation. His aim is to pull us down. He sees in our text in verse 6, they have no boundaries nor have limits to whom they would accuse These men are Pharisees. They wanted Jesus to condemn the person that they have condemned. Accusers are least interested in justice and fair play. All they want is to to condemn others. They love the presence or they love to present the side of the story that suits them. How many of you know there's always another side to the story? If you're wise in this place and somebody comes and tells you a story, about, and I know here in Hall, nobody gossips, but where I come from, in Hall, here, yeah, everybody, you all look like angels here, but but where I come from, a lot of people gossip. And it's always wise to wait to hear the other side of the story. Unfortunately, most times they're accused. Or the person that has been accused has no voice in defense. They have been spoken about at the back. You know, one of the things I tell people again is that when people talk about you at the back, it's okay. You keep going forward. They belong to the back. Oh, come on, say amen. amen. You move on. Let them remain at the back and talk about you. But this is what they do. They accuse you behind your back. I know people who accuse me, uh, and uh, they say, I know how pastor is going to react. Okay, I know exactly what he's going to do. Listen to what he says in Luke chapter 23, verse 1. It says, then the whole assembly arose and led him off to Pilate. And they began to accuse him, talking about Jesus here. Uh, They began to accuse him, uh, we have found this man subverting our nation He opposes payment of taxes to Caesar and he claims to be a Messiah and a King. Now, you and I, false, I mean, hindsight, we know the scripture. Jesus never stopped people from paying that tribute to Caesar. But an accuser would always speak something that they know that others want to hear to gain their attention. I thank God he gives voice to the voiceless. And courage to the falsely accused. Listen to me this morning. The accuser realizes, and if if maybe you're here, uh, it's always very difficult to preach one sermon on a Sunday morning uh, rather than a revival, but it's okay. Maybe you are here and uh, you are facing accusation. Listen to me. The accuser, your accuser, realizes that you are better than them. So what they want to do is to bring you down to where they are so that we can become the same. Oftentimes they've lost what you have, so they want you to lose what you have. This is Lucifer's trap. You know the scripture. Lucifer had lost his place in heaven. He wants you to lose your place in heaven. He has lost a relationship with God. He wants you to lose your relationship with God. Don't live your life worrying about people that accuse you. You can never get rid of accusation. What you could do is to make up your own mind that you will not become an accuser. So let's look secondly this morning are the accused at judgment. <laughs> the word judgment oftentimes connotes or implies guilt. When you hear you are going to face the judge, in our minds, you're guilty. We assume that everyone that stands before or anyone that has been accused before the judge must be wrong. Uh, sometimes we look at the externals And we draw conclusions about people and events. But this is not always the case. The fact remains that every soul that had ever lived one day would stand before God on judgment day. I recently lost my father just on the 31st of March. He was old. He was 93 years old. But I prepared him for heaven. We had enough time talking about eternity. And I said, dad, the day that you close your eyes, the next knowledgeable thing that you will experience is you standing before the judgment throne of God. And what would you say in your defense? Nothing. But you can allow Christ to be your advocate. You can allow Jesus to speak on your behalf. Everything that we have, Everything that we've given ourselves to, every idle word that you have spoken, every action, every thought that crossed your mind, that you refuse to bring in judgment or discipline shall be judged by the Holy One of Israel. You know, this brings us to a very precarious position because And a risky position because standing before any judge can be scary. Now, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. How many of you have ever stood before a judge before? Well, I'm going to ask for a show of hands. How many of you have asked? (laughs) Nobody in this church. Lord have mercy. Listen, the spirits, the spirit that was operating during Ananias and Sapphira's days are still here. (laughs) Don't lie before God, okay? You, you've stood before. You're, wait, you're not guilty. Wait, you know, this is the problem. I said, if you stand before the. Not necessarily that you're guilty. Some of you, you're sitting on your hand. I will never. <laughs> How many of you ever stood before the judge before? Okay. Now, a lot of people are. <laughs> but thank God you are here. Yes, I thank God. We have an invitation to come. This morning, you've honored that invitation to stand before a judge. You've come this morning and you don't even realize it that the Spirit of God is here with us to judge the living and the dead. We can stand before Him boldly. Not because we have no sin but because our God is a merciful God. Let me say that again. Our judge is a merciful judge. Two years ago, my wife's father used to be uh, the chairman of a body in Nigeria called the prerogative of mercy. He was the second in command of the uh, uh, police in in the whole of Nigeria. And At his retirement, they didn't want him to go. So his role as a chairman of the prerogative of mercy is to review the cases of those that have spent time in jail. And he would just go through them and he would consider maybe this guy, you know, he's 80 years old. He's going to die anyway. Let him go. And so you know, they'd review cases like that. Now think with me, you know, if you are at that stage, you know you spent time in, in, in jail. You're guilty. You know what you've done. And then your case has been reviewed. And then you hear those wonderful words, let him go. You'll be jubilating. And this is a position of our God. He offers us mercy when we are guilty. And this is what we see in our text. This woman knew that she had been caught in the very act of adultery. She knew the law. She was expecting the first stone to hit her. She's there and she's waiting for justice. It's her turn to die. But in the annals of Christ, it was her turn to find mercy. Now, I don't know what Jesus took down to write. And people are holding on to the law. She deserves to die. He kneels down and he writes something on the ground. You know, when we get to heaven, there are some questions that we just need to ask. I know all questions will be answered, but I'm curious. What did you write? What did you write that convicted others? In my little understanding, he could have written grace. When sin abound, grace abounds even more. She could have re- he could have written mercy. Who knows? She has no right of her own. She's standing fearfully. She's petrified. She's uncertain. Yet we see mercy on display. We see grace being poured out. We see forgiveness at work. See, nothing can be compared to being freed by the judge after your case had been reviewed. I remember growing up here in England, the story of a Uh, as a new convert, a story of a little town that, uh, you know, maybe even a village. Now, y'all wouldn't know what villages are here. You only know cities and, uh, I don't even know what a village looks like, you know. Yeah, my people, yeah, man. Okay, so, so, this little village pride themselves in that there were no thieves there. No one had ever fouled the law. No one's ever stolen anything in that village. And so they carried on like that. One day somebody came to the king and said, my yam again, you don't know what a yam is. Okay, let's call it potato. <laughs> my sack of potato doesn't sound right. Yam. <laughs> okay. So my, my sack of potato have been stolen. The king stolen we don't steal here, but it's been stolen. And they began to try and say, "Well, maybe you misplaced it. Maybe you sold it. Maybe..." She goes away. Couple of days later, another person came in and said, "I, I spread my clothes on the line outside, and it's all gone." Two days later, another person came. My, I'm just using languages that you guys don't know. Goat. Do you know what goat is? You know what? Goat? Okay, goat. My goat has been stolen. Now, so they set up a a group of people that we call vigilante. They walk all night, scouting the land, looking for people that are stealing. So eventually, they caught the thief, red-handed. And they brought her to the king. And uh, when they brought her to the king, she was an old woman. An old, frail woman, old to the bones. And the king looked at her. She couldn't be this thief. She was caught in the very act. And so but they had a law in the land that anyone caught with stealing must be beaten 40 lashes. And so they dragged this woman on the floor, and the men were ready with their with whips in their hand. And, and so just before they struck this woman, the king stepped down from his throne, removed his garment, laid it aside. And instructed that he be strapped to a pole. And instead of beating this woman, you beat me 40 lashes. No one dare beat the king. So everyone's looking, no, we can't do that. She's the guilty. No. There must be a penalty for her. Give it to me. And so they reluctantly, you can imagine the bold one that beat the king first. (laughs) And they gave him 40 lashes. He removed the strap that was binding him, put on his garment, went back on the throne, and set the woman free. Now, people were asking. He had chiefs all around. People were asking, hey, 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 hey. We don't even understand what happened there. Why did you allow yourself to be beaten instead of the guilty? She said, you know that woman, if you give her one whip, she'll die. Just one, she'll die. And many of you don't realize that that woman there is my mother. And they wow. But justice must be carried out. When I think about that story, I was a young new convert when I heard that story first time. And it remained in my mind forever. When I think about that woman's story and what the king did, it depicts what Jesus did for you. He stripped himself of all royalty. He allowed himself to be humiliated, and we dare whip him boldly. And then he took his garment back and went back on his throne. That whipping didn't make him less the king, the humiliation didn't change his status. He still remains king. And by his stripes that we can see, we have hope. Oh, can I have a witness this morning? Amen. It pays to know the judge. For this woman, it pays to know who the judge is. But that's not what pays the most. It pays when the judge knows you. Knowing the judge uh, didn't stop this woman from being beaten Because the judge knew her. Mercy and pardon was in place. So therefore, whenever the devil accuses us and condemns us, he does that to pull us down. But when God judges us, he does that to lift us up. There are people sitting in this building this morning. God is wanting to lift you up. But he needs to judge you and his judgment is not condemning you. He needs to let you see how guilty you are. And then he would bring you to his marvelous light. Romans chapter one, verse, uh, chapter 8 verse 1 says, Therefore now, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And in actual fact, the Bible says that we may know how to defend and plead our innocence, or we may not know how to defend and plead our innocence, but we have an advocate that speaks the language that the judge understands. Many years ago, I was driving, this must have been, who, who knows, 1987, thereabout, driving on Camberwell Road. This is a very notorious area. And I had a car called Scrappy. Now, you guys have beautiful cars these days. My car was Scrappy. You could literally see the road when you're driving because it's got rust everywhere. And so I'm driving this Scrappy car and I parked on a double yellow life, a line ignorantly. And the police came. And uh, the police came in there and they looked at this and they said, whoa, whoa, whoa. And I'm looking at, you know, I'm from Nigeria. I'm looking at the police. I'm looking here. You don't look at the police here. You got no business. So ignorant, I'm looking at the police, and they say, Why is he looking at me? This guy's bold. They come around my side, open the door, step out of the car, please. And you know, I was so guilty, I'm on the double yellow. My friends hopped out of the car to go and buy booze and smoke on the other side. And, and so they saw me, That I'm now with the police. They turned, they ain't coming with me. So I'm there, the police is interviewing me, and before I knew it, there were patrol vehicles. There were, you know, about six of them. Before I could say Jack Robinson, boom, they put me in it. Took me out to the police station. Now, I'm there, I'm looking around. And so they asked for my details. And because I didn't want to give them my details, I told them a lie. I can still remember the name that I gave them. I just threw a name out there. Now, don't look at me like that. That's a long time ago. And that's 1985 or 86, thereabout. Some of you were not even born. <laughs> so, so I'm there. And so my friends saw that, and they knew the nearest police station was a Camberwell one. And so, and it's just a traffic offense, but I didn't know nothing. And so I'm there uh, in the cell. Uh, and so they had to go down to East London, where I'm from, to go and verify my details, whether... Uh, it's true. So they go to my house. I live with a group of brothers, um, guys. And so they ask the guys, hey, do you know Benga Cole here? <laughs> now, Benga Cole is just a fictitious name. And my friends said, no, he doesn't live here. <laughs> what do you mean he doesn't live here? This is the address he gave. I, we've never heard that name before. I'm behind bars. <laughs> my name is Glenn Botu, but I'm telling them Benga Cole. So my friends come to the, police station to try and see me, bail me or whatever. They say, hey, listen, we're looking for Glenn to. <laughs> we don't have a Glenn Boutou here. <laughs> what do you mean? Not, we saw that, that, that. We don't have a record of any Glenn to here. So they turned back. They went. Naturally, the law says the following day, you're going to appear before the magistrates. He said, it's just a road of tra- traffic offense. And, so I'm there. There was this wicked, wicked policeman. You know, I'm trying to, I've watched so much movie back in the day. I'm thinking that if I do hunger strike, they'll have Miss pity on me. Now they do, but back then, starve if you want, starve. So they're offering me food. I'm saying, no, I'm not going to eat. I'm, so I'm, I'm hungry. So they take me, and the following day, they take me to the, the magistrate. It wasn't even, a you know, just magistrate court. So they put me there. I'm there, and I'm looking at these six magistrates. They look like Cult people, black garment, and and then I'm I'm there. And my friends were in the gallery watching because they told them anyone that we arrested will be brought to court the following day. So they're there. I couldn't see them because they're right behind me. And I'm looking at, you know, I'm in university and I'm looking at these five, four men and two ladies. And they're looking at me. Uh, The case number, the the, the, banger call appears. So I'm there. In the gallery, the friend that I dropped off, and all the other friends were being a cold. I didn't even see them. It was glass, and so i there, and so and then I said, "What do you do?" I said, "I'm, I'm in university." <laughs> you know, in Nigeria, when you cry, they let you off. <laughs> Here in England, you could cry all you want. The law. So I'm crying. <laughs> I'm crying and I'm crying. I'm thinking, hey, listen, have mercy on me. And so they say, yeah, and so I'm there and I'm just pleading my case. So what do you do? I tell them what I'm studying. In their mind, later on, I got to know that this is Camberwell. Those of you that know London, this is, this is South London. Black people don't cry. Black people are rough. This black man is crying. They're confused. Why is he crying? It's only a traffic offense. And so, we have dealt with drug dealers and the murderers. They don't cry. This so, I'm thinking about my parents. How much they had spent. All of that. And so... They said, straighten up. I straightened up. They say, well, because I have a bright future. <laughs> black people in Camberwell don't go to school. You go to school, you got a bright future. Because you have a bright future, we will be lenient in passing your, your judgment. We give you a 20 pound final. 20 pounds in 1986, that's a lot of money. Up. We'll give you 20 pound fine and three points. I never knew what points are. I, I didn't even have a license. <laughs> Back then, I didn't even have a license. Or, pff, so I'm happy. And so when they say, Are you free to go if you go and pay the fine? You know, in Nigeria, one of the great ways that we show appreciation when somebody's let you off something is to prostrate. Yeah. You all know how to prostrate here? <laughs> oh, no, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. Here am I in England prostrating to a magistrate uh, and they all look, this is weird. People stick their finger at us and he's prostrating. So I'm prostrating, thank you, thank you, thank you. I didn't have 20 pounds in my pocket. I go out, my friends were cracking up. (laughs) Banger (laughs) call. We should have let you out yesterday. Even before coming before the magistrate. And so years later, when I got my license, I didn't have a license. When I got my license, there were three points on it. I don't know how they married Benga with Glen Boto. <laughs> Couldn't understand that. Let me help you. When you stand before the judge, tell the truth tell it the way it is. He understands the language that his father listens to. See, most of us, we think, our oh, Father, we want to thank you, Father, this, and Father, that. Hey, listen, sometimes the father don't hear English. He don't speak Swahili. He doesn't even understand Yoruba or Igbo. He doesn't understand Jamaican language. He understands the heavenly language. So when the, when the uh, uh, advocate is speaking, He's not saying, Father, Lord, you know, by my stripes he's free. He's saying something that I don't understand. And God says, yeah, 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 I like that one. That sounds good to me. Let him go. But when you stand before the judge and you're willing to tell a lie, even the advocate will be confused. How am I meant to defend you when you choose to tell a lie? Let's close this morning by looking at the reaction that the accuser ought to have or the accused ought to have. I declare to you that there is hope for anyone who will simply come and seek for God's mercy this morning. You know why? Because our God cares. He does care if given a chance, every guilty person can be acquitted and set free and you can find restoration and renewal. Listen to me, salvation does not overlook sin. Rather, salvation helps us look unto the Savior for mercy. And wherever mercy is genuinely accepted, The receiver of mercy turns to become a worshiper. We see this in the life of Zacchaeus. Jesus offered him his presence. Today, I will be in your house. And Zacchaeus opened up his home and Jesus was there. Jesus didn't even say a word. But the presence of holiness brought conviction and conversion. Zacchaeus began to confess and began to restitute. In our text this morning, we see later on that this woman that was condemned to death, we see what she did. Bible scholars actually believe that this woman was the same Mary Magdalene. A woman that seven demons was cast from her life. The same Mary of Bethany who happens to be the sister of Lazarus. This same Mary that was shown mercy by God became a disciple and was one of the very few people that stood at the foot of the cross when Jesus died. Was the first to attend, to visit the tomb where they laid his body. She became a worshiper. After restoration from guilt, she demonstrated the passion and devotion for Jesus. I think about people. I've seen a lot of people get saved. I've seen a lot of people shown mercy in our church. Wherever I preach, I preach a lot around Africa. I've seen people transformed but never become a worshiper. They take what they want from Christ and they don't give back to Christ what he demands. There are two things that we can do that will speak volumes when we stand before God and no one can take away from us. Number one, don't ever stop offering God your very best. When you come into his presence, it doesn't matter what others are doing. <laughs> You know what he's done for you. It doesn't matter what people think. You know what he thinks about you. Offer him your very best. Number two, never allow public opinion to define your response to God. Mary was in the home of Simon the leper. Simon the leper had forgotten that he was leprous, full of sin. She comes into the room full of men, disciples. and She didn't allow the opinion of these men to deter her. The Bible says she opens up or she broke the alabaster box and lavishes on Jesus. And Simon the leper and others looked at that with indignation. And they uttered the words, this woman should have done otherwise. She's in church and she's giving her best. She could have reserved some and given to others, even the poor. And they reason this in their minds. That's what the Bible, they didn't alter it. But Jesus knows even our thoughts, you know. And he responded to them and said, Simon, you see this woman? I came in here, you showed no ounce of worship. You just took me for granted. I'm in your presence. We're having a laugh. But she hasn't stopped wiping my feet with the tears of her eyes. And then Jesus spoke. Says she's come to anoint my body for burial. You know what that means? When Jesus eventually died, were quickly disposing of his body it's Friday we've got to go prepare because on Saturday according to the law we are not allowed to work or do anything so let's just find a place to leave him then we would come back on Sunday and do business with his body and by the time they came rushing in on the next day which is Sunday the power of God, the resurrection power of God had raised Jesus from the dead. You know what that says? There was no more opportunity to anoint his body for burial. The woman had done it before he died. And this was why she was so special. What this woman has done, you didn't even, you didn't even, you didn't even understand it. She has anointed my body for burial. You know, in our context, you better do what you have to do for God now. Yes, amen. Don't wait until you are 60 like me. Don't wait until you've got all the degrees that you all hope to have. Don't wait until you buy your house, you buy your cars, you travel the world. You've got to do it now because tomorrow may be too late. Yes. We say, Jesus... The first person that he saw was this woman. And he remembered her. And she remembered him. And she said, oh, Jesus wants to touch. Don't touch me now. Don't touch. You've done all the touching before I died. Don't touch me now. But go and tell your brethren. I'll join you soon. I have to present myself before the judge. Don't try and influence the decision of the judge. Don't get into emotions here. Don't touch me. I go, go meet the judge first. And when he stood before the judge, there was no guilt in him. The next thing that he would he goes into the house where the disciples are, now you could touch me. Now we could touch him. We could draw the strength of being called guiltless from the one that God in heaven has exonerated and called guiltless. And this is what this morning service is about. I don't know where you are. But one thing I do know is that you will be accused one day. Whether guilty or innocent. The last night I went, and I told my father just before he passed. And you know, it's always good to have that sort of time. I said, Dad, are you guilty of anything? The people in 93 years of your existence that you are yet to forgive, is there anything? And he will smile and say, There isn't. But just to make sure that there isn't, come on, let's pray again. Come on, let's pray again. I've got images of my father come to the altar. And pray a sinner. I didn't even know people of church were taking the photograph. I wanted to pray with him. Because he's going to stand. Before the judge one day. So as I close this morning. Are you prepared? Is there an ounce of guilt. That your memory can't even Remember. But it has been written in the books that will be opened. The Bible says, the books were opened. Revelations 20. The books were opened. You know what those books are? The books that contain every single thing that you have done. Thought about. Planned. Executed. Everything is in that They're in the books. The books, volumes and volumes. But the Bible says, and another book. (laughs) And another book was opened. They're in the book of life. So regardless of all the things that you could have done, writing volumes, and we do write volumes of sin. If your name in that book of life, when the judge looks at the books, Would you be innocent or guilty? I'd like you to bow your heads with me. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. What a wonderful church you have. What's going on here is not happening everywhere. Even in our fellowship, it's not happening everywhere.